Today's reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of the first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me, also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preached, and this is what you believed. Hi everyone, my name is Tim Gage and I'm the curate at Bishop Hannington Church. As we think about God's word this evening, let's begin by saying a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Easter. What a wonderful celebration. And we pray now that as we think about your word, the Bible, you would be speaking to each one of us. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, each year on Easter Sunday, churches across the country make the most tremendous claim that Jesus is risen. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he came to earth, he died, but three days later he rose again. And he is still alive to this day, ruling over us from heaven. And while many people say this, I wonder how many of us have really grasped it. Perhaps you have. In that case, let me ask you this question. How confident are you that you will hold on to it? In our reading, the Apostle Paul has written a letter to the church in Corinth who have got themselves into a bit of trouble in terms of understanding when the resurrection for all of us is going to take place. So as a good pastor, Paul writes to them to remind them of what they already know. I remember one of my lecturers at college saying to us before we left to get ordained in the Church of England, most of what you will need to be doing in ministry is reminding people of the stuff that they already know. And it's true, that's definitely been my experience in ministry so far. But it's also what the Apostle Paul is doing here as well. He says to the church, In all your confusion, in all your mess, in all your failings, hold firmly to the gospel that saves you. 
So that's what I want to encourage you with this evening, on this greatest of days, this Easter Sunday. That as the excitement of today wanes, with the days and weeks ahead, perhaps with many more days of physical distancing, we would all be holding on to the gospel. So let's look at this passage now at 1 Corinthians 15. Do open it up if you've got a Bible there and the verses will also appear on the screen. And see what it says about this gospel. And while we do that, let's ask three questions as we look at this passage this evening. Firstly, why do we need reminding of it? Why do we need to be reminded of the gospel? Secondly, how can we believe it if we're struggling? And thirdly, what does it do to those who hold onto it? Let's start with that first question. Why do we need reminding of it? Well, Paul points out three problems in this passage. And the first problem we see in verse three, it is the problem of sin. Paul writes, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Did you notice that Paul says this is of first importance? That this is the most important thing in the whole world. Not money, not popularity, not the amount of likes we get on Facebook, not even a cure for all illnesses like coronavirus. But the most important thing is that Jesus Christ has died for our sins. I wonder whether you think that is the most important thing in the world. One of the challenges we all face as Christians is that while we know this, we are often quick to act as if it wasn't the case. Why does Paul say this is the most important thing? Well, it's because sin is the most serious of issues. The selfishness of sin damages things all around us. And we don't have to look very far to see that that's true. We see the effect of sin in broken marriages. We see the effect of sin in the poor being trodden on and in the abuse of power. But the most devastating consequence of sin in our lives is that it makes it impossible for us to have a relationship with God. But this is why Paul says this is the most important thing. It's because Christ died for our sins. That is, in his death, he dealt with all of the sin that gets in the way of us having a relationship with God. That means without it being there, well, we can know God as our father. The obstruction has been taken clean away and we have unlimited access to God. That's our first problem, the problem of sin. And if you want to think more about that, then please do look back at some of our services on our website from Good Friday as we think about that. But the second problem that Paul points out is the problem of forgetfulness. He says this in verse one. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. The gospel isn't something new to the church in Corinth. In fact, they've known it since 
Paul first taught it to them. The process was then, well, they they heard it from Paul, then they received that good news by believing it, and they have now built their lives on it, as if they were standing on top of this good news. The solution to the problem the church was facing wasn't something new or some kind of extra teaching. It was for them to be reminded of the gospel that they already knew and believed in. Now, I think it's a very natural thing in the Christian life when we face some kind of dilemma or obstacle that we think we must have, well, we must have missed out on something or got something wrong. So sometimes we go off in search of it in other places. Now, on one hand, it's really good to, for example, to read widely and to look into what other people say about faith and life. But if it's not the gospel that we first received when we believed, then we're not to build our lives on it. So this is why it's good that today, this Easter Sunday, it's the Bible that is reminding us of the gospel that we've already believed in. But perhaps that's not you. You're not sure whether you believe in this gospel. Well, in that case, well, it's great that you are watching this video. And if that is you, can I encourage you to to keep on watching, keep on looking at what the gospel is and what it means to believe it. But for the rest of us, we need to be reminded yearly, monthly, in fact, daily of the good news that Jesus died for our sins and that he is now alive. But Paul also points out the third problem in this passage, and that is the problem of loose grips. Verse 2. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Paul's concern for this church is that while they may have received and believed in this gospel, there is a real possibility that they might loosen their hold on it. Well, what does Paul mean by that? Paul's desire for this church is that they would demonstrate in the way that they behave, in the way that they love one another, and the way that they love God, that there is something different about them. That they have the hope of the gospel in their hearts. But if they are willing to hold on to that wonderful truth tightly, then it will be shown. But if they don't, then other behaviours will sneak in. Paul says, if you don't hold firmly to the word I preached to you, well then, you have believed in vain. Your belief has not really done what it was supposed to do, to demonstrate that there was something different about you, because you have believed in the word of this gospel. One of the most upsetting things about being a Christian is either seeing people turn their backs on what they once believed or what is perhaps more common in all of us and that's living in a way that is inconsistent with what we claim to believe. Well that's why we need to actively hold on to the truth. Well how do we do that? Well one one way is by preaching the gospel to ourselves just as if we were a close friend in danger of letting go. So for me, that would mean me saying, Tim, on your own, your sin separates you from God. But Christ has died for you. 
You have heard this good news. You have received it by believing it to be true. You have built your life on it. So now keep on holding firmly to it as well. Well, we do this for ourselves, but we also do it for one another, our brothers and sisters. So that that might be done in, well, it might be sending a message online or it might be a chat over a coffee or on the phone in whatever way might be right. But sometimes we might encounter in ourselves or in those around us people struggling with the gospel, particularly struggling with the idea of its truthfulness. Can we rely on what we have in the Bible? How can we know that it is true? Well, the truth of the gospel is reliant upon the truthfulness of Jesus's resurrection. So the second question for this passage, how can we believe it if we're struggling? Well, the first thing to say is that the resurrection, the truth of the gospel, it fulfills prophecies in the Old Testament scriptures. Have a look at verses three and four. Paul writes, for one I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Did you see those two times Paul said, according to the scriptures? He said that about Christ dying in the first place and about Christ rising or coming back to life on the third day day. But what scriptures is Paul talking about? After all, he can't be talking about the New Testament because at the time of Paul writing this, it hadn't been written. So he must be talking about the Old Testament. But hang on a moment. Jesus isn't mentioned in the Old Testament, is he? Wasn't that written before he came to earth? Well, yes, that's true. But what you do find in the Old Testament is prophecy after prophecy about what Jesus would experience and about what he would accomplish. For example, in the Old Testament book of Leviticus in chapter 16, we get a picture of this. Aaron, who is the brother of Moses, is told to take two goats. And the first one is to be sacrificed for the sins of the nation. But the second one is to be sent out away from the people into the wilderness. And what this does is it describes both of the effects of sin. That on one hand, death is caused by sin. And on the second, its consequence is separation from God. But it also shows that sacrifice is the way for our sins to be forgiven. Where else do we see this in the Old Testament? Well, in Psalm 22, written hundreds of years before Jesus came to the earth, we see an incredible description of Jesus in agony on the cross. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. These are prophecies that came true for Jesus as he died for us on the cross. The prophet Isaiah also writes hundreds of years before Jesus in Isaiah chapter 53 that he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him 
and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. If we are struggling to believe in the truthfulness of the gospel, then a great place for us to look is in the prophecy made in the Old Testament. This helps us to see what Jesus experienced wasn't random, but it was the carefully prepared work of God. But that's not all, because Paul tells us that Jesus' resurrection transformed the lives of those who heard it. Look at the beginning of verse 5. Paul says, and that he, that is Jesus, appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. I wonder if you can remember what the disciples' behaviour was like before the resurrection. Some of them, like Peter, or called Cephas here in this passage, was full of bravado. He said that he was willing to die for his Lord. But the truth is, all too quickly he ran away and even denied knowing Jesus because of fear. There were others like Thomas who were full of doubt. They weren't willing to believe that Jesus was alive until they could see it with their own eyes. As for the others, they were, well, they were filled with despair and confusion and disappointment. But what's remarkable is that when you read the rest of the New Testament, you see these very same disciples that Jesus appeared to in his resurrected body, well, as living very different lives. Not perfect, but different. Seeing Jesus alive, seeing that he had defeated death itself, enabled them in many cases to face their own death, in being martyred for saying that Jesus is alive. And that is still the case today. This same gospel, the truth that Jesus is alive, it transforms people. The same Holy Spirit that enabled those first apostles to believe is the very same Holy Spirit who is at work within us today in helping us to believe the gospel. And we experience different things as a result. In some cases we experience freedom from addictions we experience powerful change in our life and we live lives that we never thought possible because of that hope in the gospel. But Paul goes further because he goes on to stake the reliability of his claim on the fact that you could check it out for yourself. Verses 6 to 7. After that he, that's Jesus, appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. If you were reading Paul's letter at the time to this church, and you had questions about the reliability of Jesus' resurrection, you could actually go to the people and check it out for yourself. Paul says that Jesus appeared at one time to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters, that is other believers. These people then spread out, sharing this testimony throughout the Mediterranean and the ancient world. These people would be able to vouch for what they had seen. And if you wanted to prove Paul wrong, then you simply had to explain how all of these people had got it wrong at the same time. 
Believing in the gospel rests on whether you believe the resurrection. But that's not something that you just come to on your own. You pluck it out of the air. It's something that we all believe together. Paul says because of the fulfilled prophecy of the Old Testament, because of changed lives and because of the eyewitness accounts. As we think about holding on to the gospel, we've seen why we need reminding of it. We've seen also how we can believe it if we are struggling. And now let's finish by asking our final question. What does it do to those who hold onto it? Well, firstly, it humbles us. Have a look at verses 8 to 9. And last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Now the Apostle Paul was schooled in one of the best theological traditions of his day for a Jew. He had incredible learning of the Old Testament scriptures. He was zealous, passionate for God, unlike any other, yet amazingly he realises that all of this counted for nothing because he did not know Jesus. Paul includes himself in the list of those who met the risen Jesus. And we see that in Acts chapter 9, as Paul was going around persecuting the church, he encounters the living Jesus on the road to Damascus. Paul's encounter with Jesus was later than that of the other apostles, which is partly why he ranks himself as the least of all the apostles. Yet he has also shared in their work. Now the word apostle means someone who is sent or sent out. And while the apostles had been sent out to share the gospel with the world, God had a plan to send Paul out into his world as well, to reach out to the non-Jewish people. What's amazing is that despite Paul's incredible experience and all of his learning and skill, the gospel still makes him humble. He recognises that he doesn't even deserve to be called an apostle because he was the very one who was trying to destroy them in the first place and to get rid of all of the Christians. But the gospel has come to Paul. Jesus, who is alive, had called Paul to follow him and to share the good news too. Some people hear the message of the gospel and feel that by telling people that they have a sin problem, well, that is something wrong. People object to that idea. But needless to say, a proper grasp of the gospel should humble us, just like it humbled Paul. No, we are not called to be apostles in the way that Paul was, but we are called to share the good news that Jesus is alive. And that should humble us. Not only that the king calls us to share his amazing news, but that he made it possible for each one of us to do that by going to the cross. Secondly, the gospel causes us to accept the truth about ourselves. Look at the beginning of verse 10. But by the grace of God, 
I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. Whether I have achieved great things for God, or whether I am just starting out at the beginning of that journey, I am what I am because of God's grace. You see, God's grace enables us to look at ourselves honestly in the mirror, seeing both the good and the bad. It frees us to be honest about ourselves because it takes away the need for balancing up the good and the bad, which would either cause us to be proud or to cause us to despair. We can accept the truth about who we are and what we have done or not done. It also gives us the right kind of confidence to live our lives. You see, for the believer, God's grace comes to them through what Jesus has done. And that enables them to admit that they on one hand are a sinner, but on the other hand that they are deeply loved and cherished by their heavenly Father. This also removes the need for comparing ourselves with other people. What a relief. It takes away our despair when we see how well other people are doing and it takes away our pride when we attempt to look down on others as well. Lastly then, for those who hold on to the gospel, actually it changes the direction of their glory. Look at the second part of verse 10 and into verse 11. Paul writes, No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. Isn't this amazing? Paul, on one hand, can say quite honestly that he has worked harder than any of the apostles, that he has experienced greater hardships than any of them. Read the book of Acts and we see that firsthand. Yet the truth of the matter is that it was only God's grace that enabled him to do those things. Nothing else. This means that all of the glory for Paul's hard work goes straight to God. And Paul couldn't be happier. Which frees him up to not to try and seek the glory for himself but give it rightly to God. After all, the importance is not in the messenger, but it is in the message itself. Think about how this might look like in our life, perhaps in our church, and all the different things that will work, or admin, or doing the AV, or editing stuff for the website, or setting up flowers in church when we gather back together. We do it all for his glory. And it's only by his grace that we are able to do those things. And it's only by his grace that we have the desire to do them as well. So how will you hold firmly to the message of the gospel? The good news that Jesus is alive. Well, you can do it only by his grace. Yes, work hard at it. Yes, preach the gospel to yourself and those around you. But do it remembering that it is his grace that is at work and his grace is not without effect. 
It will keep you going at this time. It will keep all of us going as a church through this pandemic and all the way to eternal life. That is the promise guaranteed to us by the resurrection of Jesus. So take hold of it. Let me lead us in a final prayer. Father, we thank you for the good news of Easter. We thank you that Jesus died and rose again. Lord, we pray that we would be reminded of it this Easter, that we would keep reminding ourselves and others of the truth of the gospel. Lord, I pray for those who are perhaps struggling with its truthfulness, that they would be confident that it is true. They would look into your word and see the transformed effect on the lives of believers. Please help us, Lord, if if that is us. And Lord, we pray that it would change the way that we live. It would cause us to give you glory in all the things that we are doing. That we would be living lives that look different because we are holding firmly onto the gospel. Lord, we thank you that the gospel is all about you holding firmly onto us. Would we know that? Would we rejoice in that this Easter day and forevermore? For Jesus' sake. Amen.